Hello and welcome to edition number 1933 of the Whitney Talking News, which we're recording in the High Street Methodist Church in Whitney on Thursday the 13th of October. I'm Nigel James and I edited this edition. Beside me at the recording controls we have Graham Diacon. This week we have items from the Whitney Gazette. Our four readers are Anne Trelaw, Debbie Diacon, Henry Spielberg and Alan Ravel. So let's have our first story, which is going to be read by Anne, which talks about a nurse being suspended from duty. A nurse who fell asleep three times on night shifts within days of each other has been suspended for six months. Laura Ellison, who worked at the Middletown Grange Care Home in Haley near Whitney, was spotted by a colleague with her head resting on two care plans, asleep, on March the 12th, 12, 2018. Four days later, on March the 16th, during another night shift, a colleague found her asleep on a sofa twice. At a hearing in September, the Nursing and Midwifery Council NMC panel said that Miss Ellison should be given a chance to change her behaviour in the future. On the first occasion, a colleague said she found Miss Ellison asleep at about 4am as she went to look for staff to respond to an emergency. In a witness statement, she said, I heard one resident was shouting, CCC, and was pointing towards the treatment room, and another resident was shouting for help. I went to find Laura, who was the registered nurse responsible for these residents. I found Laura in the nurse's station with her head resting on two care plans, asleep. She woke Miss Ellison up and they returned to work. On Friday, March 16th, the pair were working the night shift again when Miss Ellison was found with her feet up on the sofa, waking up in the lounge at about 1.30am. Her colleagues said she asked where the nurse was and was told she was in the lounge. I went to the lounge and found it pitch black. I called out and then I heard a voice and saw Laura with her feet upon the sofa waking up. Then at about 3am the colleague said she found her asleep again on the sofa and this time took a photograph of her. The NMC panel said Miss Ellison had later told her employers that she had issues in her personal life and had been tired. She was later given a final written warning at a dis- 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 <laughs> sorry disciplinary yes hearing. <laughs> Miss Ellison did not appear in front of the NMC panel and was not represented. The panel had no doubt that Miss Ellison's action had exposed vulnerable residents in her care to a risk of significant harm. But it concluded that although there had been a clear breach of a fundamental tenant of nursing, she still should be afforded the opportunity to demonstrate that she understands the severity of her actions to a future reviewing panel. Our next item is about an ambulance that was deprioritised and is going to be read by Henry. A coroner will be writing to South Central Ambulance Service after she found that a delayed ambulance may have contributed to a teenager's death. 
Student Ella Chapman of Petty Lane in Whitney died on February 23rd this year from septicemia after suffering from tonsillitis two weeks before. The 18-year-old had been experiencing severe abdominal pain, fainting spells and vomiting the morning of her death, leading to her mother calling 999 at 5.15am. An ambulance was dispatched, but quickly told to stand down as it wasn't considered a Category 1 emergency, meaning a life-threatening condition. However, the ambulance was dispatched again ten minutes later as Ella's condition worsened. Paramedics attempted resuscitation, but Ella was later pronounced dead at 6.52am. Assistant Coroner Joanna Coleman told an inquest on Tuesday that the ambulance should not have been told to stand down, and she considered that the delay in the service may have contributed to Ella's death. The inquest heard that in the early hours of February the 23rd, Ella's mum called 111 after her daughter was frequently passing out and experiencing severe pain at 3.17am. She was told a clinician would call back, but Ella's symptoms worsened, so she called the emergency telephone line twice more. At 5.15am, she phoned 999 after Ella had collapsed on the landing. I felt like I wasn't being listened to, she told the inquest. Her body started juddering, so I called 999, who said she might be having a seizure. I started CPR and felt the call taker wasn't giving me any support, and there was a long time in silence. At one point, they asked me to get a nearby defibrillator, but couldn't tell me the code to access it. The pain and trauma this has caused is unbelievable. I watched my daughter deteriorate and no one was taking me seriously. I can't believe an ambulance was told to stand down when she wasn't breathing. She was a young girl and she should never have passed away. She added that the 999 call taker had also tried to hang up, stating they were really busy. Paramedic Paul Davis of SCAS audited the emergency calls following complaints from Ella's family, but believed the call takers had been compliant with standards. He said there were about 10 people in the area also needing an ambulance and Ella's condition was considered a Category 2, a serious condition. Ms Coleman provided a narrative conclusion to the inquest, stating she would write to SCAS to express her concerns about the ambulance being told to stand down. Our next story is about a rise in fines for sewage spillages. It is going to be read by Debbie. And the headline reads, Fines rise for spills of sewage praised. Plans announced by the new Environment Secretary to raise fines for water companies from 250,000 up to 250 million have been welcomed by an Oxfordshire MP. At present, the Environment Agency, EA, can pursue both criminal and civil prosecutions. While fines handed out by the court through criminal prosecutions are unlimited, it can be a lengthy and costly process. Using civil sanctions, variable monetary penalties, VMPs, which can be imposed directly by the Environment Agency rather than the courts, can offer a quicker method of enforcement. The current limit for VMPs for individual breaches of the rules is 250,000, but the proposal is to raise the cap to 250 million pounds. 
Environment Secretary Ranil Jayawardena said bigger financial penalties will act as a greater deterrent and push water companies to do more and faster when it comes to investing in infrastructure and improving the quality of our water. Whitney MP Robert Courts agreed that increasing the financial penalties which the Environment Agency can hand out without going through the courts, quote, will ensure quick and strong action can be taken against water companies that illegally pollute our environment. He said, the Environment Agency must take advantage of these new powers to hold water companies to account and make sure the polluter pays for the environment, environmental harm they cause. However, Ash Smith, chair of Windrush Against Sewage Pollution, said their initial research indicates that variable monetary penalties have never been used against Thames Water and believes they have never been used against the water industry at all. He said the mechanisms for the water companies to push back against fines, quote, are well tested and their lawyers well funded by bill payers' money. Of course, keeping offences out of court also protects the senior executives from the threat of jail that was suggested by the outgoing chair of the Environment Agency and others, he said. Mr. Jaya is new to the job and is firing out some big statements but nothing we've seen is doing anything to affect the ability of the water companies to keep on polluting illegally for profit. On the positive side, the people of Oxfordshire and the rest of the country can see the product of their growing awareness and disgust starting to influence the way politicians behave, and it has been the media that has made this possible. Our next story is about the oldest pub in Whitney, and it's going to be read by Alan. Yes, and the headline is Oldest Pub Shut During Its Revamp and Building Work. One of Whitney's oldest pubs is to shut for refurbishment and building work. The plough in the high street is closing for the next two weeks. Sharing the news, the pub said it was to allow for some building, major building work to take place. While this happens, we're taking the opportunity to make our gorgeous little pub even more special, it said. The reopening date has yet to be reconfirmed, but the family-run pub, which serves traditional pub food in a cosy, welcoming environment and hosts live music, has vowed that it will reopen as soon as possible. The River Windrush flows at the bottom of the garden of the pub and reviewing the pub for the Whitney Gazette some time ago, Derek West wrote, there has been little opposition to its claim to be the oldest pub in Whitney and equally the only Whitney pub with a river frontage, a fact enjoyed by many who have experienced a wonderful sunny day in the plough's long garden leading to the River Windrush. Turn on fracking prompts concerns. Prime Minister Liz Truss's pledge to lift the nationwide ban on fracking has sparked concern among civic leaders in the Cotswolds. Hydraulic fracking, which is known as fracking, involves drilling into the earth and directing a high-pressure mixture of water, sand and chemicals at a rock layer in order to release the gas inside. Ms Truss has said that developers will be able to seek planning permission where there is local support. 
She confirmed that she would allow fracking to continue in the UK in her conference speech on Wednesday. Greenpeace activists staged a protest brandishing a flag reading, Who voted for this? The potential for onshore hydrocarbon, such as oil and gas, has been explored in the past, along with the Oxfordshire border and into Gloucestershire. Since the Second World War, the county has been subject to many oil and gas exploration licences involving extensive seismic and other investigations. These culminated in the drilling of six deep boreholes in the Cotswolds and the Forest of Dean to investigate promising rock structures at depths that might contain hydrocarbons between 1975 and 1990. However, no information is available as to the commercial value of these investigations and the oil and gas potential of the geological structures beneath the area remains unquantified. But councillors in the Cotswolds are concerned about the renewed talk of fracking being allowed in the UK. County councillor Paul Hodgkinson, who represents Boughton on the Water and North Leach, said he was extremely concerned about the PM's remarks. This came up about eight years ago when fracking became quite a big issue. The Cotswolds was identified as one of those places that had some reserves of shale gas, he said. There were concerns locally that if fracking licences were given, the Cotswolds might be in the firing line for that. In the end, that never transpired, and fracking was seen to be a high-risk development. Will it be a free-for-all for the companies to just apply for licences? The risks of fracking have not gone away. We should be promoting renewable energy even more so. Conservative group leader at Cotswold District Council, Tony Berry, said, We don't want wind turbines. A lot would depend on where the fracking was. If it was in some backwater nobody cared about, they might not have a problem. But generally speaking... If it was somewhere in our beautiful countryside, there would be an issue. This next story is headlined, Stalker's victim switched home and altered her look. A stalker's victim said she had forgotten what feeling normal is like and was forever looking over her shoulder. Stephen Gittins, 69, bombarded his ex-partner with phone calls and messages, turned up at her workplace her parents' home and the stables where she kept her horse and left unwanted gifts. He was found guilty in his absence last month of stalking the woman between March and August this year and breaching a non-molestation order banning him from contacting her. Returning to Oxford Magistrates Court last week, Gittins's lawyer John Berry asked for the case to be reopened. Mr Berry said his client, who was remanded in prison in August after breaching bail conditions by contacting the victim, had not refused to leave his cell for the trial, but was too unwell to attend court. While in custody, he had experienced difficulties with a colostomy bag, fitted after part of his intestine was removed. It was not stuck to his body. There was leakage and unpleasantness, the advocate said. 
the decision was made that he shouldn't come to court for his trial on September the 26th. A prison nurse had now managed to fit the bag properly, enabling him to attend court from HMP Bullingdon. Asking for the case to be reopened, Mr Berry said Gittins was perturbed and dismayed he didn't have a chance to give his evidence to the court. The magistrate's bench, which included two of the justices who sat on the trial last month, refused to set aside the conviction. They were read a victim personal statement written by Gittins' ex-partner in which she said the harassment had left her forever looking over my shoulder and like a shell of my former self. She had been forced to change her appearance, move home, change vehicles and job and her friendship group had shrunk hugely. It is all-consuming and every day revolves around Stephen, where he is, where he might pop up. Her stalker listened with a furrowed brow as prosecutor Anne Sawyer Brandish read that the victim was terrified he is going to use his car as a weapon. The victim claimed Gittins was relentless in his pursuit to make my life a misery. She added, he will not be satisfied until he has completely broken me. Mitigating, Mr Berry said his client and the victim were in a relationship for a number of years. They had had a house and business together. Gittins had been trying to sell the former and was attempting to communicate her a number of times to facilitate that, it was suggested. The bench said the case was so serious it needed to be sent to the Crown Court for sentence. Gittins, of Corn Street, Whitney, was remanded in custody and will be sentenced on October the 25th. The next article is entitled Photo Contest Aims to Enhance Council Sites. Winners of a photo competition will help the council refresh public areas of its buildings and website with images which show West Oxfordshire in its best light. WODC is looking for photos of the people and communities of the district, as well as photographs of the district's countryside, towns and villages. Cabinet Member for Stronger Healthy Communities, Joy Aitman, said... We want anyone of any age or ability to enter this competition, whether you're an experienced photographer, just starting out in photography, or take the odd snap on your phone. We are asking residents to send their images because they know our district best, and we are sure we'll take images that really capture the spirit of our amazing district. The photos will replace the imagery we currently have and help bring some life back into the council buildings and website, showing off our area to all those who visit. The best photos chosen by a judging panel will be entered into a prize draw with two residents winning either a Cotswold Edition Monopoly board or a printed 60cm by 40cm canvas of the chosen photo. And I have two short items to read to you. First one reads, A man accused of stealing an antique pistol from a pensioner's home will stand trial next year. Darnell McHale, aged 25, is said to have distracted the homeowner in Moore Avenue, Whitney, before swiping the £650 collectible item on, on August the 18th having initially knocked at the man's door to collect money for Battersea Dogs Home. 
Appearing before Oxford Crown Court on Thursday, McHale of Birmingham Road, West Bromwich, confirmed the not guilty plea he had entered at the magistrate's court to a single count of dwelling house burglary. His case was set down for trial in the two weeks starting on February the 6th next year. The second item, which has a headline, Spate of Vehicle Thefts, reads, A spate of vehicle crimes in Chipping Norton has seen police issue advice to drivers. At least two vehicles and motorbikes were stolen from properties in town last week. Power tools were stolen from a number of work vans in Rowell Way, Shepherd Way and White Hart Mews. And number plates were stolen in London Road and a catalytic converter taken from a vehicle in Burford Road. Thames Valley Police PCSO Darren Moulding said, Secure your number plates with tamper-resistant screws. The easiest way to change the identity of a stolen vehicle or avoid speeding tickets and parking tickets is to fit stolen number plates. Using security screws to attach your vehicle's number plates makes it harder for thieves to get away with your number. Anyone with information can call 101. Right, and now it's time for the quiz. And first of all, the answers to last week's quiz, which was set by Peter B. And question one was, in the nursery rhyme, name both of the items eaten by Little Miss Muffet. And the answer is... Curds and whey, that's right. Question two, which British monarch did Queen Victoria follow? And the answer is... William the Fourth. William the Fourth, yes. Question three, which USA state is named the Cotton State? And the answer is... Alabama. Question four, in the Beano, what was the name of Dennis the Menace's dog? Nasha is right, yes. And question five, what is agoraphobia a fear of? Open open spaces, that's right. And so on to this week's quiz. And again, it's a mixed bag. Question one, what is the nationality of the scientist and chemist Alfred Nobel? Question two, which part of its body does the thresher shark use to stun its prey? Question three. What does Triceratops mean? Question four. Which South American country means land of silver? And question five. From which language does the word mattress originate? French, Greek or Arabic? And the, quest- the answers to those questions will be given to you next week. And so we move on to our next item, which is about a student who tries... Green, a greenwash trick. Confused? Well, Anne will explain what this means. A 17-year-old sixth former challenged the fraudulent greenwashing claim of brands in an A-level art project. Ruben Meller, a student at Woodgreen School in Whitney, used a faced Instagram account to demonstrate how some companies deceive the public into thinking they are environmentally friendly. Ruben's A-level art EPQ, Extended Project Qualification, required him to write an extended essay on a topic of interest. 
As the son of artist Adrian Meller, the brains behind... Sorry, it's when they split some of these words, you know, it's... Shall we start again? Can I start? A 17-year-old sixth form has challenged the fraudulent greenwashing claims of brands in an A-level art project. Ruben Meller, a student at Wood Green School in Whitney, used a fake Instagram account to demonstrate how some companies deceive the public into thinking they are environmentally friendly. Ruben's A-level art EPQ, Extended Project Qualification, required him to write an extended essay on a topic of interest. As the son of artist Aidan Meller, the brains behind Ada, the world's first ultra-realistic artistic robot, he went for a bold project. He used Instagram to show how easy it is for companies to post fake claims on their social media platforms. The Instagram account claimed to be an environmental conversationist organization specialising in tree growth. He put up several posts suggesting the organisation had planted 250,000 trees in three years. The lies from the posts were readily accepted by over 2,000 users. On one occasion, a climate activist with over 30,000 followers reshared one of the posts. Ruben said he feels closely aligned with Extinction Revelation, which has strong base in Oxford. He said, I want to do more than show real change. We don't need to make up lies. In the last few years, some of the world's largest brands, including Coca-Cola, McDonald's, have been subject to greenwashing accusations. After being named one of Britain's least sustainable fashion brands by Environmental Adult Committee, EAC, in 2019, fast fashion brand Boohoo has come under fire for greenwashing. The brand announced a new sustainability ambassador, Courtney Kardashian, but faced criticism for the reality star's lack of qualifications. Ruben concluded from the campaign that the difference between greenwashing and fraud was minimal. People reacted the same even when a fraudulent claim was being made. People couldn't tell the difference even when it was obvious. He said he found his findings unsettling. It is deeply terrifying to think that my artworks show how companies can manipulate customers without a penalty by over-exaggerating their claim while behind the curtains. The government still refusing to take any drastic climate action, he said. He supports Gretna Thunberg's claim that the trends for ethical fast fashion is simply pure greenwashing and has vowed to take a stance against something he believes to be fraudulent. A student who studies art, business and history at A-level now plans to continue to follow in Thunberg's footsteps by protesting greenwashing and planting real trees. 
Rubin's effort to challenge greenwashing can still be seen at his fake Instagram account, Ruben Oak. The story is headlined, Park and Ride Work Starts, But Is It in the Wrong Place? A new park and ride to serve Oxford as part of the £180 million improvements on the A40 becomes a reality from next week. Oxfordshire County Council has informed residents and business owners in Ensham that construction of the 850-space car park will start on October 17th. Initially, there will be work to clear the site at Cuckoo Lane off the eastbound A40 and to put up a perimeter fence. There will be overnight road closures on a stretch of Cuckoo Lane from its junction with the A40 to the SSE substation from October 25th to November 7th. Diversions from Ensham Roundabout through Lower Road and Roslyn Road will be signed. Oxfordshire County Council says the facility will help improve congestion on the A40 and provide regular and reliable public transport services into Oxford. A new roundabout will make the hub easy to access from either direction on the A40. The park and ride will have 24-hour security, cycle storage, public toilets and electric vehicle parking bays. The site will be accessible 24 hours a day and is designed for easy use with dedicated access and exit routes, says the County Council. The A40 is one of the county's busiest roads and notorious for congestion. The facility is part of the HIF2 upgrade scheme, which will see dual carriageways from east of Whitney to the Ensham Park and Ride, improved shared cycle and footpaths, an integrated bus lane between the new Park and Ride and Duke's Cut, Wolvercut Roundabout, and works to the Duke's Cut Bridge. Ensham Parish Council and Whitney Town Council have both questioned the choice of site saying, as it is intended to serve commuters to Oxford from Whitney and Carterton, it makes little sense to site it halfway along their journey. During consultations on the scheme, Whitney Town Council questioned whether drivers would terminate their journey at Ensham to access public transport and not just continue into Oxford by car. Chair of Whitney's Traffic Advisory Committee, Andrew Coles, said... Personally speaking, I broadly welcome a new park and ride at Ensham as it could be made into an effective transport hub, making public transport a much more attractive and viable option. It could also mean bus services from surrounding villages and communities could link up with direct buses heading to Hanborough Rail Station as well as into Oxford City, the John Radcliffe Hospital, Whitney, Carterton or Cheltenham. Oxfordshire County Council said the rationale for locating it at Ensham is that it will be available to the widest catchment area, linking existing bus services from Ensham, Whitney and Carterton, as well as new services to Oxford. The location at Ensham is appropriate, as it offers the most cost-effective solution for all. In comparison, citing the park and ride at Whitney would require a greater number of buses to serve the network and would therefore be considerably more expensive to provide the same level of service. And I have two short items. The first is entitled Man Denies a Break-In at Catholic Church and Mess. A man will stand trial next year, accused of breaking into a Catholic church and leaving it a mess. Francis Walsh, 24, of Swinbrook, near Burford, 
appeared before Oxford Crown Court to deny burglary with intent to steal and cause unlawful damage, plus criminal damage. Prosecutors say he raided a shed attached to a house in Sheep Street, Charlbury, on July 26, 2020, before breaking into St. Teresa's Catholic Church next door. It is alleged tinned food from the shed was poured over the church floor and the site was littered with candles, broken glass and cigarette butts. Walsh was given bail until December 2nd. A trial is expected in February. And the second article is Sex Assault Group Trial. An alleged member of a group of men who molested underage girls in Banbury two decades ago will not now be tried until next autumn. Samuel Osei Bempong's trial over the rape of two girls in the early 2000s was due to begin at Oxford Crown Court this week, but has been delayed for reasons including the non-availability of defence counsel. Judge Michael Gledhill, KC, adjourned the trial until September 4th next year. Osei Bempong, 49, of Middle Barton, was not present for Monday's hearing. My next story is headlined £100,000 for organisations helping police. The sale of unreturnable stolen property by the police has raised £100,000 for community groups. Police and Crime Commissioner for the Thames Valley, Matthew Barber, and Chief Constable for Thames Valley Police, John Campbell, made the grants to voluntary and community organisations from the Forces Community Fund. The fund provides biannual funding to groups that fit in with the objectives of its Police and Criminal Justice Plan. The items sold were stolen but unable to be returned to their rightful owners. More than 100 organisations applied to the latest round of the Community Fund, with 25 groups successful in receiving funding. All support the force's priorities of strong local policing, fighting serious organised crime and fraud, and cybercrime, improving the criminal justice system, and tackling illegal encampments. Mr Barber said, I'm delighted to be able to award this funding to so many community and voluntary organisations who provide valuable services across the Thames Valley. A key part of my police and criminal justice plan is to enable organisations to collaborate and tackle issues facing our communities. These organisations are all working hard in support of my police and criminal justice plan priorities for the region. It's great to be able to provide this funding through the Community Fund, which is money that has been recovered from criminals to support a range of projects across the area. I've been able to visit a number of previously funded organisations to find out how this funding has benefited them. It has allowed many organisations to do some fantastic work in reducing crime and supporting our local communities. Mr Campbell said... This funding will help a number of projects which will contribute to the prevention of crime and protection of the vulnerable in line with the PCC's priorities. And now we come to the editor's choice, and this is in two parts. Firstly, 
an item which I know you appreciate, is on this day in the years gone by. So on this day in 1521, Henry VIII rejected the Roman Catholicism, becoming defender of the faith. In 1849, Frederick Chopin died of TB. In 1884, Greenwich was established as the universal meridian and longitude. In 1924, Mecca fell to the Saudi Saudi forces. In 1971, John Lennon released his best-selling solo single, Imagine. In 1974, Ed Sullivan died. In 1987, Michael Fish denied that a hurricane is imminent. We wait and see what develops from that. And the second part of this is a not non-hilarious poem from Pam Ayres entitled The Seaside or Coastal Erosion. I used to like the seaside. I don't go much anymore. There's been a subtle change in what you find along the shore. I'm gazing at the water with dread my toes have curled as I think of people eating fibre all around the world. Here beside the ocean, I'm staring at the scene from underneath another coat of SPF 15. I watch the tankers pass. They look so sinister and black. This morning's here. Here's the front and then tonight, there goes the back. A hundred thousand walkers with their marching boots and packs are tramping round the cliffs, admiring one another's backs. The narrow, narrow coastal path, alas, has cracked beneath the load and fallen in the water, so you'll have to take the road. Little local restaurants are nestled side by side. McDonald's, Pizza Hut, a Burger King, Kentucky Fried... This is where the kids enjoy a saturated meal and hang around arcades where life is virtually real. I used to buy the seaside rock and take my friends a stick. I used to have a seaside hat emblazoned Kiss Me Quick. A mercury thermometer with lighthouses and ships. But now I get my mercury from plates of fish and chips. I caught a fish this morning, but I threw it back instead. Well, it was rather small and radioactive. It was dead. For now, along the waterline, all that can be heard is the slap of oily water on a decomposing bird. Once we'd walk along the quay and buy a herring or a sole. Not any more. Our fishermen's are queuing for the dole. But here comes the armada, and they offer thanks to God. As they shout, Viva España! and hoover up the cod. There's gangs around the shops, and I'm afraid I might be mugged. There's gangs along the beach, and I'm afraid they might be drugged. They're making funny noises now from underneath the pier. I don't know what they're doing, but I've got a good idea. I'd like to take a photograph to show that I was here, but my camera's been nicked. I've left it hanging on the chair. So I'm walking to the station, and I'm getting on the train. I used to like the seaside, but I shan't go there again. So after that, we follow on with the notice board, and sad to report that we have six deaths uh, published in the uh, Whitney Gazette. Firstly, Margaret Forster of South Newington, aged 88 years, died on the 24th of September. She was uh, locally known as a staff guide at Benham Palace. Hebe Godfrey of Stonesfield died on the 10th of October. 
her age unknown. Frederick Haywood passed peacefully away on the 30th of September, aged 92, and he was from Ducklington. Christine Huggins, whose age is unknown, died on the 1st of October, and she was from Freeland. Hazel Larkworthy, formerly of Bampton, died on the 29th of September, aged 70. And Sandra Miller died on the 30th of September, 2022, after a short illness, and we know neither her age nor her origins. And our deepest sympathy go to uh, relatives and friends of all those who have passed on. And as well as listening to the USB stick you receive from us each week, there are other ways for you to listen to all our editions, including magazines. And these include Sonata Plus, the internet, podcasts, and full details can be seen on our website at wtn.org.uk. Just follow the link for Listen Online. And now we go to our next article, uh, which is going to be read by Anne, which is headed Firm on, on the Edge. Yes, Firm on the Edge after Council asked for COVID relief back. A small independent business faces bankruptcy after a council asked for the COVID relief grant back. Bampton House, a cosmetic products manufacturer, got £4,000 from West Oxfordshire District Council to help recovery from the pandemic. However, the firm has been asked to repay the grant after the council deemed it to have been unnecessary. Business founder Holly Reynolds says that her company will go under if she has to return the money. We don't have £4,000 in our business account, she said. The last few years has taken its toll on us. The shops and markets we sold at were closed. We had about 10 Christmas fairs we usually attended that were all cancelled. So we applied for a grant to compensate for our lack of earnings. Even if we misunderstood the application process, it was the council's job to see if we were allowed that money, not to decide two years later to ask for it back. Miss Reynolds claims the council is asking for the money back as she has a website which she could have been using to sell products when shops and fairs closed in 2020. However, the founder said her website was very different two years ago and was not built for that purpose at the time. A council spokesman said, During the coronavirus pandemic, the council was asked by the government to pay out over £48 million in support to local businesses at high speed on their behalf. With the COVID-19 business support schemes now ended, we have been instructed by government to identify and recover any grant funding issued to businesses that was not in accordance with the guideline issued at the time and return this to the government. This retrospective assessment is based on the guidance, is not subjective and unfortunately there is no discretion available to us other than to work with affected businesses to explain the reasons why the grant funding needs to be repaid and help them to agree payment solutions to minimise the impact on the business where possible. 
And I've got two more short items to read. The first one is titled, Report Suspicious Cars Out at Night, Urge Police. Police are asking people to report suspicious-looking vehicles being driven in the early hours following a spate of thefts of car parts. Thames Valley Police's West Oxfordshire team said there had been an increase in catalytic converter thefts in and around the North Lee area near Whitney. Suspicious vehicles have been reported in the area in the early hours. Officers said, Please could we ask residents and visitors to the area to be vigilant and report any suspicious activity. There have been incidents of catalytic converter theft with recent reports from vehicles parked at Oxford Parkway Railway Station and from villages in the Wallingford area. And the second story also relates to crime and it's entitled Burglar Swiped BMW Keys. A burglar who swiped a set of car keys then took a BMW X5 will be sentenced next month. Daniel Peachy, 21, was due to learn his fate at Oxford Crown Court last Wednesday, two months after magistrates found him guilty of entering a property in Queen Emma's Dyke, Whitney, as a trespasser and stealing BMW car keys. He admitted other charges of taking a BMW X5 without consent and driving the 4x4 without a valid licence or insurance in Corn Street. Judge Michael Gledhill, KC, adjourned sentence for a probation report. Peachy of Corn Street, Whitney, was bailed until November the 2nd. And my story is entitled Encore, Apples Again. And there's a lovely picture of two children uh, using an apple press to make juice. Um, Apple Day returned to Cogs Manor Farm with a day of autumnal family fun celebrating the humble fruit. Apples were chopped and pressed for their glorious juice and turned into homemade apple crumbles and toffee apples. There was also an apple identification activity. The Windrush Bowman demonstrated the art of archery and Ducklington Morris danced outside the manor house. Children's activities included creating autumnal crowns, veggie heads, games, storytelling and crafts. To top off the day, there was live music from local musicians, a cider bar and barbecue. Janet Reed from Cogs Manor Farm said, Apple Day at Cogs was a huge success as we celebrated the humble apple and the weather was perfect. The kids loved making veggie heads and the flower crowns and people told us they also loved the fact they could bring their own apples and containers and make their own juice. Baby boom year for wildlife park animals. A baby boom is going on at Cotswold Wildlife Park where there have been more than 350 births from 50 different species so far this year. New additions include a tiny giant anteater pup, who is the third breeding success for parents Zorro and Zeta. The last time they successfully produced an anteater pup was back in 2016. The public was invited to help name the newborn via the park's Facebook page and choose Zena. Cotswold's Wildlife Park curator, Jamie Craig, said Zeta has again proved to be an excellent and diligent mother. 
We are extremely proud of her here at the park and it is great to see another healthy baby growing rapidly and exploring her surroundings from the safety of her mother's rather formidable back. Elsewhere in the park, keepers are celebrating the arrival of Bactrian camel Petra. She is the first calf sired by Father Louis, who was named after Prince Louis of Wales, as they were both born on the same day, and experienced mother Cleo. The wild Bactrian camel is classified as critically endangered and is thought to be one of the rarest large mammals on earth. Camels have a gestation period of approximately 360 to 440 days. The section head of primates and small mammals, Natalie Horner, said it had been a very busy time on her section this year. She said several new births to celebrate, including our Colobus monkeys, Titi monkeys, cotton-top tamarins, dwarf mongoose and naked mole rats. We're also thrilled with our latest addition to the Lima troupe, including the birth of one of the rarest primates on earth, the greater bamboo lima. With only 30 animals in captivity worldwide, we are one of the only two zoological collections to have successfully bred greater bamboo lemurs this year. And our pair of crowned lemurs recently gave birth to twins. Female Sava and her partner Aizio are first-time parents and are doing a brilliant job of raising their youngsters. It has also been a remarkable breeding year for the park's white storks. Cotswolds Wildlife Park is involved in one of the UK's most ambitious rewilding programmes, the White Stork Project, which aims to restore wild stork populations to Britain, a site not seen since the 15th century. This was the most successful stork breeding season in the park's history, with a record 33 chicks reared. Chicks hatched in May and were transferred to Nepcastle Estate in West Success for release into the wilds in August. And we come to our, and finally, article. And where would the talking news be without an article about Jeremy Clarkson, which is going to be read to us by Alan? Yes, you can't keep him out of the news, can you? Headline is Jeremy Clarkson told to close Farms Pizza Cafe. And it reads, Jeremy Clarkson has been ordered to shut a cafe he has been running at his diddly squat farm after the council claimed it breached planning laws. However, the presenter of TV show Clarkson's Farm, which is filmed at his farm at Chatlington near Chipping Norton, is appealing against the enforcement notice which West Oxfordshire District Council issued on August the 12th. The Diddley Squat Eatery has long been hamstrung by residents' complaints, local residents' complaints, and by planning laws. The broadcaster, aged 61, filed an application to create a 50-cover restaurant featuring a kitchen, a servery area and internal seating area inside a lambing shed at his Diddley Squat farm in September 2021. But that was turned down. 
However, Diddley Squat Farm came under investigation after the Grand Tour and former Top Gear star, Clarkson, announced in his newspaper columns that he had found a delightful little loophole to open a pizza place. The farm and shop has been swamped by visitors since it featured in his Amazon Prime video documentary series. The enforcement notice required that all mobile toilets, all tables that would be used by diners, and landscaping materials were removed. It said there was unlawful use of the farm and said its nature, scale and siting is unsustainable and incompatible with its countryside location within the Cotswold area of outstanding natural beauty. The council said the farm must also stop selling products other than those made on the farm, or those made within a 16-mile radius of it, or others that the council has allowed. This also was a condition of the original planning permission for a farm shop. A West Oxfordshire District Council spokesperson said, Council officers have worked with the owner and planning agents of the business over many months to investigate breaches in planning control, advising on how the business can be operated in a lawful way and trying to reach a solution. Over recent years, the business has had several planning applications approved where they are in line with national and local planning policy and also some which were refused where they were not. We work constructively and successfully with many businesses across West Oxfordshire, including farms, to help them operate within the national and local planning laws and policies that exist to protect the countryside and local communities. It said appealing a notice was common practice. Mr Clarkson's agent has denied it breached planning laws and said some of the requirements were excessive. It also said that a map served by the council is wrong and that the notice should be, should be quashed in its entirety as a consequence. The agent added the proposed six-week period to undertake ordered work would be too short. The agent said it would have a serious and detrimental impact on the business and the livelihoods of those employed at the site and that six months would be a more reasonable time frame. The planning inspectorate has accepted Mr Clarkson's appeal as valid and representations are due by November the 7th, so watch this space. Well, that's all we have time for this week. Please stay listening for the TNF radio listings and audio-described TV programmes. Please remove the memory stick from the playback unit and close the metal shield. Remember to reverse the plastic address label on the yellow pouch before posting it back to us. And please put these in a post box. Don't take them to the post office, otherwise they stick uh, obnoxious sticky labels all over them. Please do this as soon as possible, as we sometimes run out of labels and pouches and are then unable to continue our service to you. If you wish to contact us, simply put a slip of paper in your pouch and we will then phone you. It only remains for me to thank the Whitney Gazette for the stories we've used tonight and thanks also to our technical expert, Graham Diacon, and the volunteers who have been checking the pouches and memory sticks you've returned and keeping those in our register. And those are Jan Butler and Francis Ashling. 
And finally, to our four readers, Andrew Law, Debbie Diacon, Henry Spielberg and Alan Revell. And I know everyone would like to say goodbye, and so until our next edition, goodbye. Bye. Bye. TNF Soundings. Features from across the UK. Now for a look at some of this coming week's radio highlights, starting with Saturday, October 15th. At one o'clock on Radio 2, the official all-time debut album Top 40, in which Steve Wright counts down the biggest-selling debut albums released in the UK. On Radio 4 at 2.45, the drama for the afternoon is the unquenchable thirst of Dracula. Dracula's seeking new prey in India and encounters British tourist Penny, who's on a mission to locate her sister, who's gone missing. Penny's arrival at the palace of Maharaj causes her to fall into the clutches of a deadly blood cult. A chilling fare for an autumn afternoon, certainly guaranteed. While on Radio 4 Extra at 7 o'clock on Saturday evening, writer Mark Billingham explores the life and legacy of the prolific author Edgar Wallace, the man who wrote too much. Wallace specialised in crime novels, but remains best known for creating King Kong. Sunday, October 16th, Desert Island Discs, on Radio 4 at 11.15am, has the actress Maxine Peake as the castaway. She tells Lauren Laverne about her determination to get a place at drama school, but how once she gained a place, she felt very much the outsider, until advice from Victoria Wood put her on the road to success. Pick of the Week on Radio 4 on Sunday is at 6.15pm. Always worth a listen as Jeff Bird presents a selection of highlights from the past seven days of BBC Radio. While Radio 3 at 7.30pm to finish the weekend, it continues its season of programmes marking 150 years since the birth of composer Ralph Vaughan Williams, a gentle, beautifully crafted drama about his later years. It's called People Everywhere Will Sing. After the death of his wife and approaching 80, the composer launches himself into a new life and decides on a radical plan that, when asked to compose something for the Queen's coronation. On to the programmes then that go out at the same time each day, every day, on the same radio station. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Same time, same radio station. Book of the Week on Radio 4 at 9.45 is Edible Economics, in which the economist Han Yun Chang serves up an interesting explanation of global market forces through the food on your plate. Listening to this will make us realise that economics is a subject we should all know something about and also consider the food we eat that much more carefully. Composer of the Week on Radio 3 all week at 12 noon is Robert Schumann. Donald McLeod examines the question of whether the creative tension between Robert and Clara Schumann can ever be reconciled. Clara's greater fame and desire to travel to perform concerts was set against Robert's desire for her to be a wife and homemaker. The first instalment explores Robert's attempts to reconcile these seemingly opposing outlooks. A treat awaits those who enjoy radio dramas, with Brideshead revisited on Radio 4 Extra at 3 o'clock. Ben Miles, Jamie Bamber and Anne-Marie Duff star in Jeremy Front's dramatisation of Evelyn Waugh's classic 1945 novel about a disillusioned army captain looking back on the formative days of his life spent with his Oxford friend, Sebastian Flight. While rounding off our highlights for the week, book at bedtime, Radio 4 at 10.45, Dance Move. These short stories by Wendy Erskine follow people who are looking to wrest control of their lives, only to find themselves defined by a moment in the past that marked them.
So on to the highlights for the daily broadcasts each day. Monday, October 17th. A new series of Untold begins on Radio 4 at 11am. Lindsay McKenna runs her farm in Ross-on-Wye as an exotic animal rescue centre. The animals include lemurs, lynx, mountain lions, and Lindsay explains why she refuses to let them become exhibits, despite rising food and energy costs. In Raiders of the Lost Archives, on Radio 4 at 4, Keith Wickham and friends make it their business to track down old radio programmes languishing in attics and cupboards across the land. These are then restored and broadcast, as is the example of a rediscovered episode of Hancock's Half Hour to be broadcast on Tuesday. We'll talk more about that in a moment. Rounding off the highlights for Monday, October 17th, 11pm, Radio 4, The Witch Farm. A drama documentary from Danny Robbins about a family making a fresh start at an old farmhouse in the Brecon Mountains, who discover the isolated building holds dark secrets. The farmhouse became known as Britain's most haunted house, as a modern-day investigation reveals. Tuesday, October 18th, and we begin with Icon at 11.30am on Radio 4. And the icon in question is Elizabeth Taylor, who used her fame for good in particular to help raise AIDS awareness earlier than anyone else. The afternoon play on Tuesday on Radio 4 at 2.15 is the life cycle of Ospreys. It's 400 years since Ospreys have bred in the Peak District, and David takes his voluntary job of guarding the eggs very seriously. Unfortunately, the clueless new volunteer foisted upon him does not fill him with joy. How will they resolve their working relationship is the question at the heart of the play. And finally for Tuesday, October 18th, the rediscovered Hancock's Half Hour on Radio 4 at 6.30 that I mentioned earlier. The time has come for Tony to get himself a job, but he needs to find a wife first. The usual cast of Sid James, Bill Kerr and Moira Lister are joined by Peter Sellers. A real treat in store. Wednesday, October 19th and cheese is on the menu in the Radio 4 programme One Dish at 9.30am when Ed Gamble makes the case for one of his all-time favourite things to eat, a cheese board. Yes, in cheese board, he's joined by Kimberly Wilson, who explains the science behind why eating sweet and savoury things is so satisfying for others. Thinking Aloud, also on Radio 4, but at 4pm, is hosted by Laurie Taylor. It leads a discussion on the NHS and the British welfare state via the story of the sick note and the changing understanding of the role of healthcare and the NHS. An important topic for us all, really. And a delightful way to end the day on Radio 3 with a birdsong garden autumn passage at 10.45pm. Jeff Sample and his family share with us the annual autumnal visitors on their doorstep, including swallows, chiffchaffs, pheasants and mallards. Thursday, October 20th, and Tony Hancock returns again, but in very different guise, in the Norwegian Hancock Radio 4 at 1130 it's almost 50 years since the first broadcast of Norway's most successful comedy, which was in fact a reimagining of Tony Hancock. Paul Merton looks at how the character was created, what he means to Norwegian society, and why Norway was a perfect cultural fit for Galton and Simpson's creation. A far cry from railway cutting's East Cheam. In this evening's Radio 4 Extra broadcast of Great Lives at 6.30pm, the subject is the flamboyant dramatist and architect Sir John Vambra designer of Blenheim Palace and Castle Howard. Matthew Paris invites the actress Caroline Quinton to assess his legacy. While at 7 o'clock on Classic FM, Smooth Classics with Zeb Sones, 
It's a three hours of calming classical music to help listeners relax and recharge. A pretty tempting proposition as the week comes to a close. Friday, October 21st. We begin at 9am on Classic FM with Alexander Armstrong's three-hour celebration of the 90th anniversary of the London Philharmonic Orchestra. Founded by Thomas Beecham, the LPO has been the resident orchestra of the Royal Festival Hall since 1992. One of the radio's most successful writers is Peter Tinnerswood and his comedy drama The House Swap at 3 o'clock on Radio 4 Extra has the added bonus of starring Penelope Wilton. Together, they should guarantee an entertaining hour. And we round off this week's listings when we return to Radio 4 at 7.15 on Friday night for Add to Playlist. Keris Matthews and Geoffrey Boaka are joined by a Welsh harpist and a composer to add tracks to the playlist that celebrates the astonishing range of human voice. That's it. Thank you to Terry for the highlights this week. May I wish you a peaceful, safe and enjoyable week of radio listening. Hello, this is Val from Otley Talking News with my selection of audio-described TV programmes, which I hope you might enjoy, for the week beginning Saturday the 15th to Friday the 21st of October 2022. Starting with Saturday the 15th. I'm afraid there are very few audio-described programmes on the BBC channels today, and there are lots of repeats. Trawler Men, Hunting the Catch, is on BBC Two at 3pm. The North Sea Welk season begins. This is followed at 4pm, also on BBC Two, by Saving Lives at Sea. A diver is in serious trouble off the coast of Dorset. Over on ITV3, there is a triple bill of Midsummer Murders, starting at 5pm with The Dog Leg Murders. Barnaby is called to White Oaks Golf Club after one of its members is found bludgeoned to death. Simon Reeves' South America is repeated on BBC Two at 6pm. In this episode, the adventurer is in Chile. The early evening film on Channel 4 is the comedy adventure Crocodile Dundee 2, starring Paul Hogan and Linda Kozlowski. Francesco's Italy Top to Toe is on BBC Four at 7pm. Francesco explores the south of Italy and takes a trip to Mount Etna when he visits the island of Sicily. In Shakespeare and Hathaway on the Drama Channel at 8pm, Frank and Lou investigate a missing person case at a casino. Moving on to Sunday the 16th of October. The soap Emmerdale marks its half-century with an anniversary documentary, Emmerdale, 50 Unforgettable Years, at 6pm on ITV. A new series, The World's Greatest Train Journeys from Above, starts on Channel 4 tonight at 7pm. In this episode, we follow the Glacier Express through Alpine Peaks and Treacherous Gorges. A new series of The Larkins starts at 8pm on ITV. When we meet new neighbours, the Jeroboams, will they become friends or foes of the Larkins? The final episode of Frozen Planet 2 is on BBC One at 8pm. 
showcasing the work of scientists who are studying climate change and how this impacts on life. This is followed at 9pm, also on BBC One, by the drama Bloodlands. To stay in the hunt for the gold, Tom must cover up Olivia's crime. A new drama series, Somewhere Boy, starts with a double bill on Channel 4 at 10pm tonight. Since Danny was a baby, his dad has kept him locked in a house in the middle of nowhere to protect him from the world of monsters outside. The series continues at the same time on Monday, at 10.15 on Tuesday, and the final two episodes are at 10pm on Wednesday. Now for those programmes which are on at the same time throughout the week. Paramedics on scene is at 10.45am. Homes Under the Hammer, although now not shown as being audio described, is at 11.15. Bargain Hunt is at 12.15. Doctors at 1.45. The crime drama London Kills at 2.15. And Escape to the Country at 3pm. All these programmes are on BBC One. Dickinson's Real Deal is at 2pm on ITV and Heartbeat is at 6pm on ITV3, both programmes Monday to Friday. Great Asian Railway Journeys is on BBC4 at 7pm each evening, Monday to Thursday. Monday the 17th of October Stonehenge, The Lost Circle Revealed, is on BBC Four at 8pm. Using cutting-edge research, a team of archaeologists have compiled evidence to fill in a 400-year gap in our knowledge of the smaller bluestones. Jamie's One Pan Wonders is on Channel 4 at 8.30pm. Tonight's recipes include smoked salmon pasta, a loaded beef burger and sticky toffee apple buns. Our Dementia Choir Sings Again with Vicky McClure is on BBC One at 9pm. The choir faced their biggest challenge to date to sing live on stage in front of 20,000 people at Nottingham's Splendour Festival. In the drama The Walk-In on ITV at 9pm, Robbie refuses the offer of a new life on the Witness Protection Programme after helping the police. A new documentary series starts on More 4 at 9 tonight, Tony Robinson's Museum of Us. Tony enlists the help of current residents of an ordinary street to explore the untold stories hidden behind their front doors. And a relaxing way to end the day with Mortimer and White House gone fishing at 10pm on BBC Two. The intrepid duo venture to the Republic of Ireland to fish the mighty Loch Corrib. Now let's have a look at Tuesday the 18th of October. We start tonight with Rob Burrow living with MND on BBC Two at 7pm. Sally Nugent talks to the former Leeds Rhinos player who was diagnosed with motor neurone disease in 2019. This moving documentary is the Radio Times pick of the day. Three choices at 8pm. 
Trollermen Hunting the Catch is on BBC One. The crew of the scalloper Golden Promise brave strong winds to reach newly opened scallop beds ahead of their rivals. In tonight's The Great British Bake Off on Channel 4, Halloween has come early for the remaining bakers. In the Yorkshire Vet on Channel 5 at 8pm, Peter operates on a horse called Sammy. In tonight's episode of Reported Missing on BBC One at 9pm, police in Sheffield mount a search when 58-year-old Gavin vanishes from his flat, leaving the front door wide open. Now let's have a look at Wednesday the 19th of October. Several choices at 8pm tonight. The repair shop is on BBC One. When we see more items brought in for repair, lovingly restored to their former glory. On BBC Four, why the Industrial Revolution happened here. Professor Jeremy Black explains how coal provided the fuel for an explosion of new inventions. Lewis is on ITV3 at 8pm. In this pilot episode from 2006, Lewis and Hathaway investigate the murder of a maths student. Doc Martin is on ITV at 9pm. The news of Martin's job offer is spreading through the village like wildfire. Now on to Thursday the 20th of October. Once again we start with tonight's choices for 8pm. On BBC Two, Saving Lives at Sea. In Thurso, Scotland's most northerly mainland station, the RNLI lifeboat crew raced to the rescue of an ocean-going rower who'd run into trouble 40 miles out to sea. A new series on Channel 4, Aldi's Next Big Thing. A competition where small-scale British food and drink producers pitch their products to Britain's fourth biggest supermarket. Vera is over on ITV3 at 8. Vera investigates after a woman is attacked and murdered. In DNA Journey at 9pm on ITV, comedians and good friends Joel Domit and Tom Allen delve into their family histories. New Tricks is on the Drama Channel at 10pm. Jack investigates when a diamond worth millions is found. And now we come to my final choices for this week, Friday the 21st of October. The comedy Turner and Hooch is the early evening film on Film 4 at 6.45pm. Tom Hanks stars as a dapper California detective who teams up with a slobby dog. Father Brown is on the drama channel at 8pm. A tortured artist is murdered. The sitcom Ghosts is on BBC One at 8.30pm. Having found that their neighbour Barclay has been seeking to undermine their guest house, Alison decides to play him at his own game, recruiting Julian to her vengeful cause. Professor T is on ITV at 9pm. The professor presents a lecture to his students about the murder trial of a caretaker who appears to have been caught red-handed in the act of shooting his employer but the professor is convinced he is innocent. 
TNF Soundings. 